You might be done with COVID, but is COVID done with you? This is episode 74 of En Route. where we talk about the journey of faith and how it intersects with religion, politics, and culture. I'm Dennis Sanders. I'm your host. Good to see you. Well, next month we will be coming to the two-year mark since COVID became a daily part of our lives. And it's also unfortunately been two years since COVID became a culture war issue. Now, with little fanfare, just this past, a few days ago, America passed the 900,000 900,000 mark 900,000 lives lost to covid after two very long years after all of this death and sickness everyone is tired we're tired of wearing masks we're tired of having events canceled we are tired of the culture war we are just tired Journalist Barry Weiss recently proclaimed that she was done with COVID. We are, we're told you get the vaccine and you get back to normal. And we haven't gotten back to normal. And this is what Barry Weiss said on Real Time with Bill Maher. And she continues, and it's ridiculous at this point. If you believe the science, you will look at the data we, we did not have two years ago. You will find out that cloth masks do not do anything. You will realize you can show your vaccine passport at a restaurant and still be asymptomatic and carrying Omicron. Of course, we're dealing with a virus that didn't even exist three years ago. So we're still learning about it as we go along. But even with that, is Weiss right Are we done with COVID? No, says Methodist pastor Drew McIntyre. McIntyre is a pastor of Grace United Methodist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. He also happens to be the spouse of a doctor. And he took to the internet recently to write a blog post reflecting on COVID over these last few years through the eyes of his physician wife. And looking at the pandemic through Um, his wife's experiences, really gave him a real-time view of the virus. And that view isn't pretty. He sees it not as abstract, but actually as real, as something that is actually still affecting lives. I'm glad to have him back. He was here earlier, um, a few episodes back, talking about uh, Black Lives Matter. And... um, He is back here again, and in this talk, we will talk about the problem of ignorance passing as knowledge, selfishness as freedom, and what it means to be a person of faith and to act as a person of faith in this time of a pandemic. So, let's listen to Drew McIntyre. Thank you. 
Well, it's good. good to have you back here, Drew. Good to be with you, Dennis. Thanks a lot for having me. So one of the things I've been wanting to talk to for a while, talk about for a while, is kind of where the church is at when it deals with COVID. And we're kind of hitting the two-year mark of um, the pandemic. And, you know, we're not where we were in March of 2020. Um but we're in a different place. And um, I wanted to kind of talk about, you have an essay that will be coming out in a few days and um, kind of about various parts of, of um, what we're dealing with in the pandemic and um, highlighting the fact that your wife is, is a doctor and has had to deal with some of this um, up front. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that, that I think I want to talk about, and I've heard this more than once from a lot of different people, is the kind of belief that they are done with COVID. And there's a part of me that kind of wants to agree to a point that, you know, I have been vaccinated, I've been boosted. Um, but there's also a part of me that keeps thinking that doesn't feel right I, for, for lack of a, a, a better phrase. It feels like it's, we're not ready yet. Um, not that we are, you know, again, back in March of 2020, but that this isn't over yet. I, I guess I like to say that this is the beginning of the end, but not the end. Um, what are your thoughts about that when people say that? Yeah, and, and correct me if I'm, I'm wrong, I think that that came from Barry Weiss. That yes, it did. Barry Weiss. And I'm, I'm often fairly sympathetic to, you know, to her viewpoints. So yeah, same say. here. Um, but I'm finding lately that a lot of people who I'm often sympathetic with, I don't have a lot of patience for right now. <laughs> I can, uh, you know, we can talk about some others too. But, um, I mean, I think it's as an aspiration, that sounds great. I thought we were done with COVID after the first wave. And then I thought we were done with COVID after Delta. <laughs> and I don't know what it's like for, you know, where you are, but where, where I am in the last week, we've had the highest COVID numbers we've ever had in my area. Mm. So when people say done with COVID, I don't know what they're talking about. I, you know, I tongue in cheek, I, I think I, I, I put up a tweet um, likening the, uh, you know, I'm done with COVID to when Michael Scott declared bankruptcy. Right. <laughs> you, you you can't just declare it and it's a thing this isn't you know i don't i don't believe in the law of attraction i don't think naming it you know unless you're god speaking it into existence is not a thing um not name, it, name it claim it doesn't work here yeah unless you're Yahweh, <laughs> just naming things doesn't make them true um i get it i mean i'm exhausted by covid as you said my wife is a is a physician she works in our local hospital system um, she's in family medicine. She sees COVID patients. She sees them both in the you know, clinical setting and has seen them in the ER and had patients very sick and dying and had whole families in the, in the hospital. I mean, it's bad stuff. Um, so it's been a, a conversation for like our family every night for two years. Mm -hmm. So I'm tired of it. I, I get it. You know, I'm sympathetic, but that doesn't mean it's, that doesn't mean that the numbers aren't up here for us locally mm -hmm. right now. Um, and I just, I don't know. Um, I've, I said this in the piece, but 
I'm generally someone that's pretty, um, you know, I have a lot of empathy for others. I'm usually someone that can get along with anyone and understand different worldviews and all those things. But some of this, this stuff I've really struggled with, um, with COVID and, and that attitude is, would be one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would think that this really would, if you're someone that believes in trying to love everyone to kind of have a, at least a forgiving heart, that this has to be a challenge at this time. Um, when you find people that may not be thinking about this as in the same way that you are, um, that are kind of thinking it's just kind of, they should be done with this. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm sure Barry Weiss is tired like everyone else is, but gosh, I'm sure uh, nurses and, and people that take the trash out of, you know, the ER rooms and teachers and anyone that's had to work with the public, you know, in an essential kind of setting, um, you know, people that work in the grocery stores, I'm sure everyone is, ex- is exhausted with this. Um, but again, that, that doesn't, that doesn't mean it's over. That doesn't mean our responsibilities to our neighbors. And that doesn't mean that another variant can't come next. That's significant, if not worse, God help us if that's the case. Um, of course, it's great that we have vaccines and boosters and we have enough PPE now and all those things help a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, we're, a lot of people are still sick and dying. I, um, thankfully in my church, um, mostly it's been mild cases, but a whole lot of my friends have buried a lot of folks from their churches. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, that doesn't just go away because we want it to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, in our own house, we um, my husband tested positive about two and a half weeks ago. Um, so that led towards disruption, disruption for him because he basically had to sequester himself for about two weeks. Um, luckily, it was it was mild. Um, you know, that also affected me because I being in the same house, I was gone for a few days from work and kind of waiting to see how things would turn out. Um, so, you know, again, that's why I always feel a bit uncomfortable when I hear the done with COVID thing, because it's one of the things you want to believe, but I've just had the experience that I've had kind of says, I don't think we're totally done with it yet. Yeah, I, I'm sure, you know, after a year of the, the Spanish flu, uh, people want to be done with it, you know, with the influenza epidemic doesn't make it so, mm-hmm. um, unfortunately. Um, yeah, and I'm, I'm glad you and your, your husband are okay. Thank you. Thank you. What do you think is behind kind of all the, in some ways, the either if we even went farther back to the resistance when it comes to vaccines or refusing to wear a mask or, you know, is it tribalism? Is it selfishness? I mean, what's happening that even something just as simple as putting on a mask can can be this, I mean, great big issue as if, you know, it's it's some type of human rights issue. I know, I know. It's really, it's really hard to understand. And I think, again, this is where I struggle in some cases to be charitable. And I try really hard to be, you know, I love the old, the, the adage, you know, when things get tough, get curious. I try to be curious about people and wonder whether I, I try. Um, you know, with with vaccines, I can understand folks that are 
are who some people do have bad reactions to, to vaccines in general um, or are just uh, have compromised immune systems. And especially when it was very, very new, mm-hmm. I understand some some hesitancy. Um, I feel like now sort of the, the, the science is pretty much in and the, the evidence is fairly obvious that they're very effective. The mask stuff, though, uh, has been very bizarre to watch, especially, you know, there's some of these cases of parents showing up at school and threatening to beat up the principal over their kid wearing a mask and this kind of stuff. I do think, especially with that stuff, it's it, it has been somehow tied to identity, to, to political identity. There's some tribalism that's going on there for sure. There's, um, and you know, I have sympathy for sort of a civil, civil libertarian kind of, kind of view, but it has been amazing to watch how like, you know, a a five inch piece of cloth or paper can reduce an otherwise functional adult to a toddler. You know, we've been working with, we have, we have a a daughter who's a little over two and been working with her on wearing a mask in case she, for when she goes back to, to daycare and stuff. And, um, she has less of a problem wearing a mask than a lot of adults, you know, that I've encountered and, and, and heard about. Um, oh, it's been, it's been so strange. Like it's this sign of, and the weirdest stuff of course, is the, the arguments Christians come up with, right? Like you can't cover the image of God or these, these sorts of strange arguments that, that Christians make, but I don't, I don't view it that significantly different than a, a seatbelt, right? Which, mm-hmm which is normal now, but when seatbelt laws came out, it was, you know, it was a crisis. And there was, again, <laughs> issues about freedom and, all, you know, there was, a, I remember that. But I feel like even, I mean, seatbelts is similar too in that, it, well, it's, it's, but it's even a better case than seatbelts because with seatbelts, if you don't wear a seatbelt, you're mostly going to hurt yourself. All right. So I could in some ways see like, if people want to be dumb, let them be dumb, whatever. Um, but with masks, it's it's about other people. It's more like as you know, I say this in the piece. It's it's more like smoking in public, mm-hmm. right? Yes, you have the freedom to do this, up and until that freedom butts up against someone else. And to me, I, I just that's a very clear case to me mm-hmm. that if if my freedom of action could negatively impact someone else, especially right now with Omicron, most people that I know that have gotten it don't know they had it until they took a test. Because it's fairly mild for a lot of people, thank God. Mm-hmm. Um, so literally, you can be spewing this stuff out to everyone around you. And if you're not wearing a mask, you have no way of noting that because you may not have symptoms. So t- to me, you know, if you don't, uh, unless you think that we should just have smoking in every public place, like it's 1976, um, I don't understand any sort of logical case about it. I think it, it is mostly for a lot of folks about this sort of tribal identity that because I am X, I must be against masks and mandates and, and vaccines. And in some cases that's a package deal and other folks it's more nuanced. I mean, I want to name, you know, name that, but mm-hmm. I don't know what, what do you think? It's just been bizarre to watch for, for me. Yeah. I, I don't understand some of it. I, I think right in, in this period, I'm, I won't say I'm totally ambivalent, um, because in the, this recent bout with COVID, I, um, whenever I would go to visit, my mom lives not too far from me. Um, we tried not to visit as much, but when I did, I would wear a mask because I didn't know if I had COVID. And I, I actually think I did, but it wasn't 
it was an antigen, the antigen test. So, uh, but I felt kind of that same way. Um, mm-hmm. And so in those cases, that seems to make sense. I, I struggle at times of, okay, if I go into a store, do I need to put on a mask, even if I'm vaccinated and all of this? Um, but if it's requiring it, I, I don't see a problem with that. Or if it's in a very close close quarters, I'm probably going to put on a mask until, you know, we're not, we're, we're safe. Um, because, you know, I, I think, again, we're, we're, at least personally, that we're in this really confusing time when it's, it's not what we were, but we really aren't where we were, at least for that brief shining moment in the summer where we could just take off our masks and we're done. Um, And even though I can get um, vaccinated, I can also still get it. And I can also still pass it along to someone. So, you know, I'm, I'm not crazy about it, but you know, like today I had to, I just placed an order for another batch of um, N95 masks. So, you know, it's one of those things that at some point I'm not, I don't like it, but it's kind of like, what are you going to do? And, you know, it, and I think ultimately it, it is caring about the other person. You don't want to, you don't want to personally, just from what I've understood about COVID, hurt someone inadvertently. And, yeah. you know, I, I, you know, it's not the end of the world. Yeah, and you know, for us, it's been primarily about our daughter, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we got vaccinated when we could, we got boosted when we could, but our our daughter's too young for any available vaccine so far. And yes, in general, kids do okay with it, but my wife's a physician, and she knows if you ever been to a doctor, they give you the worst possible scenario, right? And not only does she know the worst possible scenario just intellectually, in some cases, she's seen it, right? Like mm-hmm. she's treated the worst case scenario. So it's been a very, you know, a very real thing for us. And, and also we have older parents, you know, we don't want them to um, to catch something from, mm-hmm. from us. I mean, in terms of church stuff, I think about, again, you know, ch- you know church members who are, who are older, church members mm-hmm. who are immunocompromised because they're doing cancer treatments, church members who have small children at home. And um, again, with, with Omicron, it's not been as bad, especially with like kids and stuff in some ways. But th- those are the folks I... I think about it. if it's just, you know, if it's just me and, you know, take risks and then whatever, you know, I'm boosted and all the things, but when it's those who are most vulnerable to this thing, mm-hmm. at least for Christians, that, that should at least give us pause when we're considering these, these questions. Um, yeah. And I think places like, again, like church or that are, are indoors close in, it makes sense. I mean, you know, God is not going to be upset that you wore a piece of cloth over your face. I mean, I'm sorry. Uh, God is fine with you. So if if you think God is upset, that's a, that's your problem actually. Um, And my church, we went for a while without masks, but um, actually it was back in the late summer, someone who came down with COVID was there, but luckily I think most people were masked already. Um, so we just decided we're going back to wearing masks um, while we're indoors. And so, you know, I will take it off, of course, to preach, but 
other than that, the mask is on um, for the same reason. We have older people um, that are there. But my mother comes with me to church. She's 88. I'm, I would like to make sure she can see 89. Um, so, you know, again, it, it's kind of something that you have to do. Um, it's kind of the, the same thing. I don't understand people who um, get upset, like flying. Um, back in the, the fall, I, um, my husband and I flew to DC for our cousin's funeral, or, or, um, sorry, cousin's wedding. And, um, you know, we had to wear our masks um, the entire time. It's a little weird, but it was also okay. I mean, but I mean, there have been literal fights of people not wanting to wear a mask. And yeah, which which means that someone you know bought a ticket, got on the plane all the, the whole time, knowing that that was going to be asked of them, and made a decision at thirty thousand feet that they weren't going to, you know, and that that's like a level of. I don't know, malevolence or something. Pretty, (laughs) and also a really expensive choice because, you know, you're plunking down a few hundred dollars to get on a plane and then you're going to decide this is the perfect time to act like a jerk. Um, No. Yeah, not not just to ruin your experience, but also the experience of literally everyone on the plane Mm -hmm. with you. I mean, that's that's an incredibly... You know, I don't. I, again, I don't like to be judgmental of people I don't know, but I, I, I can't see that as anything but selfish. If, if you really can't live with this piece of paper on your face for a few hours, when, again, my perspective is the person that I love and that's been putting herself in danger to take care of strangers for two years does this at least some weeks, all day, every day, sometimes multiple masks, sometimes full body PPE, like the whole nine yards, if, you know, you can't wear a mask on your business trip to San Antonio, I'm sorry your life is hard. Um, Christians in China and the underground church would like to talk to you about a hard life, you know? Um, and again, with, with Christians, I just want to say, like, if this is what you think difficulty is, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, you know, study, this is... Study history. Gets to, to another point is... Where do you think there's kind of this, it seems like there's a a missing piece of logic for Christians because our whole religion is is basically centered on the other and how do we care for the other. Um, And we do that because, of course, that was what Jesus did. Um, Jesus was not thinking about himself. And so what is the disconnect that we can understand this we read it but then when it comes to this real life situation we don't do it yeah it makes me think of um you know famously mark Knoll wrote a book 20 something years ago called the scandal of evangelical mind mm-hmm. yeah. the thesis of the book for those who haven't read it spoiler alert um, is what he says essentially is the scandal of the evangelical mind is that there isn't much of an evangelical mind in terms of the intellectual sort of development and, and pursuit in the evangelical world. Um, now he's saying that as an evangelical, I'm not picking on evangelicals. Lots of my friends are evangelicals. Um, but something like that, I think we've seen in, in large parts of Christianity where 
you're asking for you're, the way you asked the question was a hole in the logic, but that presumes that there's a logic going on. Whereas again, I think it's, it's more, um, what's the, the, the language, a rep, you know, a, a reptile brain like mm-hmm. response. It's not a, it's not a conscious thought. And you know, the, the work of Jonathan Haidt, he talks about this, that a lot of our, what we believe morally is sort of innate. And then we find reasons for it. I don't think in a lot of these cases, folks have gotten that far into their thinking about it. Now, let's also be fair that there are um, folks on, let's say, the the cultural and ecclesiastical left who are just as unthinkingly, you know, doing what they're doing because they want to not be these people, right? Yep. So there's there's tribalism on both sides. I think we're both comfortable saying that. Um, but I, I do think in terms of how the church has responded to COVID regarding masks and vaccines and et cetera, what you have is a whole lot of people, including clergy, who have been more discipled by um, their cable news channels of choice, their media pundits of choice, um, their news sources of choice, than they have been discipled by scripture or the tradition or the church or faith. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's conscious, but I think that's true. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense to me. Because again, I, I just don't think there's a lot of thinking through it. I think there's a lot of, I think there's a lot, there's a lot of, this is what my friends think. This is what the people around me think. This is what, you know, it, it's weird because I'm in North Carolina and the, the community that I'm in is sort of a, is a larger city, college town. Um, and here masks aren't a big deal. But if you go 30 minutes any direction, it's a whole different story. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, you know, churches, businesses, the whole the whole nine yards. So I, again, I, I, I suspect it has a lot to do with the fact that as we both have, I think, talked about and addressed in almost every church, discipleship is, is poor, I think, but that doesn't mean our people are not being discipled and our people are being discipled. I think largely by the media and sources that they interact with on a daily basis through news and podcasts and whatever else. You had an interesting uh, quote from Neil Postman um, from the book Amusing Ourselves to Death, which I have not read, but it seems to have been brought up so much during the pandemic. Now I feel like I need to, to, to read it. But it was an interesting thing that he says towards the end, the, the quote that you use, where people can think that ignorance is knowledge. Um, could you kind of explain that or, or kind of suss that out, what what he was getting at? And what does yeah. that have to do with the church? Yeah, I would, I would encourage everyone to read uh, Amusing Ourselves to Death. I mean, it's amazing how prescient that book is, considering it was written almost 40 years ago. Um, almost, yeah, almost 45 years ago now, 1985. Um, it draws a lot on Brave New World. Mm-hmm. This this whole idea, the totalitarianism that a lot of folks fear is the totalitarianism of 1984. 1984, yes. Right, that it's top-down, the government does this, the, the authority kind of takes control. Whereas Brave New World, it's it's we do this to ourselves, right? We're comfortable um, if uh, if we can just sort of like the 
the rat and all those experience experiments, they can just kind of keep hitting the pleasure button um, and just sort of numb ourselves to life that you don't have to be an authoritarian, like to take over people will just sort of give up. And what Postman argues, oh, go ahead, sorry. I was just say that's also the world of Logan's run just to oh, nice. bring okay. that one up. Okay. Yeah. And I, I guess also in some ways, um, is it, uh, what's the Pixar movie with the little robot? Oh, Wally. Um, yes. Yeah. It's kind of Wally also. So that, that's much more of a brave new world mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. apocalypse. Right. And what, what Postman argues is that, and he's saying this with the advent of just television, not even cable television, just television, but that the confusion of, of news and entertainment means that we're losing our, our ability to discern between real knowledge and disinformation. He likens it to like the KGB kind of stuff. Now he's saying this when there's like four channels and it's just everything he said is so much more true now. And so he concludes that, yeah, by, by saying, um, he's saying, yeah, I'm saying something far more serious than that we are being deprived of authentic information. I'm saying that we're losing our sense of what it means to be well-informed. Ignorance is always correctable, but what shall we do if we take ignorance to be knowledge? I mean, we see this in the church in various ways, one of which is just the the attitude of um, this kind of American individualist, populist notion of if I have a Bible, I don't need a seminary or a church or a Sunday school class or a preacher. I know what God said. I I have my Bible. Um, If you've ever read the the democratization of American Christianity, it talks about this somewhat. Um, But it certainly has been true, this whole idea in in the pandemic that, you know, is it, what's it called? The, um, is it the Dunning-Kruger effect? Yep. Dunning-Kruger school. Yes. Sort of the, the, you know, the more ignorant you are, the less likely you are to know your ignorance. Mm -hmm. Is this whole notion of people doing their own research? When I say this in the piece, like, okay, I, I, I went to a good seminary. I went to a seminary that on some list when I went was a top seminary in the country um, it was hard school to get into. Uh, it, I worked very hard. I was surrounded by very bright people. And I thought that my schooling was hard. But I watched my wife go through medical school. <laughs> I watched my wife go through residency. And as difficult as it was in some way, at least what I did in my training and education as a pastor, was like nothing compared to what my wife did. Medical school, medical school. I used to try to help her study, and I would get exhausted just reading the words from the flashcards. Like it's, it was that hardcore. Um, and you know, so to 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 watch people, to my view, denigrate not just my wife, but like her profession, the years she and her colleagues put into getting that expertise. It's this. It's very similar to how I imagine it feels. When, you know, you or I try to have a Bible study and, you know, we've been to seminary, we've studied this, we care about it, we've done our preparation for Bible study. And I've done this, maybe you have, you know, I, I give this like hour long explanation on some chapter from the book of Revelation. And still I have someone in the back row that says, well, so-and-so on TV said this. <sighs> okay. <laughs> and I don't have another hour to tell you, you know, why so and so got this and believes that where it came from and the 
you know, Darbyism, the 18th century, 19th century, whatever. Um, again, not even knowing the difference between ignorance and knowledge, just assuming that anyone, because they're literate, can understand uh, medical literature. Uh, I'm sorry. I've tried to read my wife's work. She's published in their journals and stuff like that. It's its own language in the same way that when we go to theology school or seminary, it's its own thing. And you have to, it takes time. You can't just pick that up. And even folks who are like, I don't want to get, there are people, there, there are people, you know, saying someone is in medicine versus someone who's a physician or an epidemiologist. Those are different things because there's lots of people, you know, in the same way that there's lots of people that work in the church, that doesn't mean they're theologians. There's lots of people that are sort of vaguely in the medical world. And this is, I've heard this a lot in the pandemic, you know, my so-and-so, you know, works at a doctor's office and they said this, well, doesn't mean that they know what they're talking about. Like, yeah. Uh, it's been um, stunning. And I get it in some ways, right? It's, it's, it's populism in some ways. It's, um, you know, Nichols, I think, wrote The Death of Expertise, this idea that, that there's no such thing as expertise. But I'm sorry, if you, if you break your leg in a horrible car accident, you're going to show up to the ER and they're just, and you're just going to want them to do what they do. And just because you can, you know, Google for 48 hours before you make a decision about getting your vaccine or whatever, doesn't mean that you know any more than, than what that, you know, uh, it's just, it's just silly. And I'm losing my words right now because it's been that frustrating. And I, I'm, I'm, I wrote this piece in part because two years into this thing, I need to process some of this stuff. And mm -hmm. as you can see, it's a work in progress. Do you think that people have just kind of even lost some sense of common sense? Um, I mean, I, I don't, I'm not an epidemiologist, but I do know some basics of how viruses work or that it seems like people aren't even thinking about that. And, and not to say that I'm on the same level as an epidemiologist, but even just the very basic rudimentary things that you would think you could understand about a virus, it seems like that escapes some people. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, and obviously there's been all sorts of, I think, messaging errors and, and things like that. I also think lots of opportunistic folks with their own platforms and agendas have overhyped those mm. because, you know, it's not that science does change. It's that right data changes. And if you're following the science and things change like a new variant or a new situation or whatever, then you change, you know, there was a good thing by put out by Johns Hopkins about just because the recommendations change doesn't mean the science was wrong a year ago or the recommendations no. were wrong a year ago. It means there's a new situation and science appropriately is responding to the new situation. So, yeah, I, I do think there's definitely a, a, a lack of, of common sense. You know, it's also most people are acting out of self-interest to, to one way or another. And we should take seriously that obviously millions of people have been huge, hugely negatively impacted economically, socially, spiritually, 
emotionally by the pandemic and, and the lockdowns and, and all that. And, and so maybe a charitable, one charitable read is some of it comes from people genuinely feeling grief and loss and being afraid for their businesses and their livelihoods and all that. And, and that's probably where I could be a little bit more, more charitable um, as I'm, as I'm talking about it. Um, you know, again, John Haidt talks about motivated reasoning and we're all, we're all likely to view the world in ways um, that are convenient to us. And I'm certainly not disinterested in my analysis and my opinion, uh, given that, you know, I've watched someone I love go into work with COVID every day for two years. And, and my big fear has been the hospitals getting overwhelmed such that she's no longer safe. Right? Or so that she's put in a position to have to decide, you know, does patient A, B, C, or D get a vaccine or get treatment or get a ventilator? Or, and we're not in that place anymore, thankfully. Um, although staffing shortages are, are very serious in hospitals right now. Um, but, you know, so it's personal to me, too. And I should acknowledge that, you know, I'm, I'm not a, uh, a disinterested observer in this. No. Um, I think it's been really sad that it's been as politicized as it has. I think that has had a lot to do with it. And I, I've seen a lot of speculation, you know, if, if it had been a different president at the time or if the president had done this instead of that, would it be different? I don't know. That, that seems a little bit easy of an analysis. I, I read um, two books I read that were helpful that I'd recommend to your viewers and listeners there's one called Pale Rider um, mm. that was a history. Are you familiar? It's a history of the I'm just, Spanish. Uh, yeah, and it's one that is on my, I have to read it next. It was very good. It was okay. very good. And you'll be stunned at the parallels between 100 years ago and today. I mean, anti-mask marches and campaigns and all the things. Um, very, very similar. So, uh, pre- in not just in America, but in other places too. So mm-hmm. there is something that is not just about right now mm-hmm. that, that's, that's to this. Um, I also read uh, the plague year. I forget the author's name. It's the same guy that wrote the book about um, Scientology that became the uh, uh, Lawrence, Lawrence something. It's going to bother me now. Um, he wrote the looming tower. Oh, Lawrence Wright. Yeah. Yes. Um, and it was basically his, you know, as a writer, uh, reflecting on COVID, but also talks about previous pandemics. That was that was very good. Um, this sort of populist, like bubbling up against public health measures, lockdowns, things like that, is something that we've seen previously. Mm-hmm. There was an example from uh, Pale Rider. Uh, uh, it was a South American country where there was a, a Catholic um, priest or bishop in a certain area who like very publicly told the faithful something like that the, the Eucharist will protect you from the flu and, if, you know, come to church. And, and of course a whole bunch of those parishioners, you know, got, got sick and died. Um, so, so culturally, but also religiously, this resistance is, um, is not new. And I, I'm, I'm a, you know, I was a historian kind of first in my, academic love. So in some ways it's helpful to know that this isn't all just our world sort of going to pot, <laughs> but, but it's difficult not to think that the technology that we have and the ability that we have 
to only interact with and and encounter information that we already agree with that has to only make it worse i would i would suspect mm-hmm. so in some ways it's not new in some ways i think it's 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 worse mm-hmm. in some ways the same impulse uh oh, it's gasoline on the fire maybe is the best way of putting it right mm-hmm. the same thing is there but um it's made much worse by our technology and cultural conditions and stuff. Well, earlier you were talking about the fact that um, basically the crisis in the American church uh, when it comes to discipleship. Um, If we had had maybe stronger discipleship programs in our congregations, how do you think it would change how people look at the pandemic? Hmm. It's a good question. A couple things. Um, One is, if it's a discipleship that is inviting people to think of the community, like the church community, more so than just their individual selves, so if it's a, a discipleship that's saying it's not just me and Jesus, but it's I'm a part of this family, mm-hmm. then I think that that changes how you approach it. It's not about, I mean, you, you know, I've have colleagues that they got like phone calls on the same day from families at church, you know, and in the morning they got a phone call from a family saying, um, if if you're not if we're not wearing masks this Sunday, we're not coming to church. And in the afternoon they get a phone call from another family at the church saying. If you make us wear masks this Sunday, we're leaving the church for good, right? A discipleship that, that says you're not just you and you're not just your family, but you're part of this family. You're part of this body. That it's, you're, you're a part of a we that is called the church. I think if, if that's something you're formed in deeply, it's going to be hard to make those sorts of ultimatums, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or see things in that way but it's about me and my comfort or my family and, and our comfort, but what's best for the whole. Mm-hmm. That, that's, a, I think, a mature Christian perspective. Um, and, and with that, too, a discipleship that invites us to see our identity, first of all, as Christians and followers of Jesus, and not first of all as either um, citizens of the U.S. or people on this or that side of the political spectrum, right? I'm not, I'm not, you know, so such that we're thinking about things not as, well, I'm, I'm an American and we're, we believe in freedom. So I think this is what we should do. Or um, I'm, I'm an American and I'm a good liberal. And I think we should do what the CDC says, right? Agree with whichever one you want to. Those are not Christian claims. Mm -hmm. Right, but a, a discipleship that says, first of all, I follow Jesus. What does that mean? It's your earlier point: love God and love neighbor. Well, that means that my neighbors, both within the church and outside of the church, are a primary part of my consideration. Not just my Google search. Not just whether or not I like masks. Not just whether or not, you know, I I think my my kids like masks or not in school. Like. I think that whole question of identity, if, if discipleship is affecting our identity in a way that invites us into something 
higher and deeper than just our partisan affiliations, then I think it could nuance that conversation. And I've, you know, I've tried to make this not about sort of what I think is, is smart or best, but as a hopefully responsible leader and a Christian, what do we, what do I think is best for the whole? Mm-hmm. I don't like wearing masks. I still preach with a mask on. I don't like it. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm promise. I'm tired of it too. Um, but I'm trying to do, you know, both set an example mm-hmm. and also try to do what's best for, um, the whole, um, it's not just about me. And that's like Christianity 101 is it's not just about me. And a whole lot of what I've heard and seen has been, this is what I think. This is what my family wants. This is what my, you know, a lot of me, um, not that I'm without, you know, not that I'm perfect or don't have my own, again, selfish reasons for some of this stuff, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. How does it strike you? What do you, what do you think? Do you think discipleship could make a difference in this stuff? I think it could. Um, I think for some of the reasons you just said, it, it's, um, I think for, for those who don't want, you know, are against putting on masks or don't want to get a vaccine that to help them understand that the faith is not just about me, myself, and I, it is something beyond ourselves. Um, and I think discipleship then ultimately points to Jesus, um, you know, dying on the cross and all that. Again, it, it was this kind of act for others that in a way of, of following Jesus means that that's kind of the way that we should be living in, in a way that's sacrificial. Um, so, yeah, I do think that that would help. Um, and even for, for those who do follow certain, all the, the procedures, it's understanding it that, you know, I'm not doing this because I'm a liberal. Um, but it is because I'm a Christian and this is how I, I want to do things. Um, so yeah, I think it gives people a foundation of, um, what we should be doing. And I think that that is something that has been missing throughout the pandemic. And this is, I I know people don't these days like to talk about both sides, but, um, it does seem like it's on, on both sides that we don't really have that religious grounding of either why uh, on why we're doing this or why we should do this it's we're actually listening to kind of politics and um you know as you said people on certain um cable news channels instead of listening to what god says yeah it, it seems like if you commit your life to following someone who said take up a cross mm-hmm. that taking up a mask is not that big of an ask. Yeah, it hurts less. And, yeah, and look, some of my heroes, like Mando here, they wear masks all the time, and they're mm-hmm. fine. Yep. You had to get in the superheroes in there. <laughs> I had to, you know, I figure it's in the background, so people are going to notice it anyway. But uh, Oh, yeah. But yeah. This is, I did this, you know, when we streamed uh, from my home office for a lot of the pandemic. I, w- I would mix up what I had in my little like background here and the kids at church got a kick out of it. You know, sometimes it was baby Yoda. Sometimes I have 
Superman's dog Crypto is right there. Oh, okay. Uh, mix mix up the you know the collection. And of course, Green Lantern is uh, back there. So you know, just keeps people on their toes, and uh, everyone loves a good good pop culture. Oh, I love reference. it. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, you know, you were talking kind of pop culture here, and and you know, this also is leading to, of course, the sports world. Um, and you know, we've had this long thing with Aaron Rodgers. Um, I think John Stockton, which you um, was shared in, in your essay. Um, I guess, you know, there's one of those things of, of, of trying to be, and I know, you know, Charles Barkley never said, he said, <laughs> I'm not a role model, but they are role models. Um, and are, is that kind of an example of really not understanding what it means to really live beyond yourself um, in a in a godly way that it's kind of what I feel comfortable with, not necessarily what is what benefits the whole. Yeah, it, it's also I don't know. Like I don't. I mean, I don't follow sports at all. But I saw that that John Stockton thing. There's certainly, you know, I don't like impugning people's motives, mm-hmm. but it's certainly the case that if you're a public figure who comes out questioning whatever vaccines, masks, mandates, et cetera, et cetera, uh, you're going to get a lot of derision from sort of popular you know, culture and stuff, but you're also going to immediately have a tribe, right? You're going to, you're going to have some people that are going to just you know, give you lots of attention and adulation. Yeah, you're you're speaking up and and all that. And I can only guess for someone like, I mean, I think it was Stockton's case. It was he was his what like season tickets to his own school mm-hmm. were revoked because he refused to wear a mask at a basketball game. It's it's again, it's like that. Um, not quite as bad as the airplane example, but like, really, you can't watch a, a basketball game with a with a mask on. Is it that big of a if someone can do an eight-hour surgery with a mask on, I feel like you can probably watch a basketball game sitting down with a mask on. Mm-hmm. You know, I can. I, I went to watch a movie with a mask on. I didn't like it, but mm-hmm. I didn't die. You know, it's it's uh, it's fine. It is odd though how um, we will listen to anyone that agrees with us over an actual expert, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm. I'm I'm pretty sure Rand Paul is not an expert on viruses. Yes. <laughs> I don't Get think he's an extra. expert on a lot of things. <laughs> Virus especially. And, you know, I I don't know. My, my whole, like, ministry is predicated on I'm not an expert, but I'm going to read the experts and do the best I can with what they tell me mm-hmm. and study with them and, and learn from those who are, you know, smarter than me. And, and then do the best. And so I, it is an odd, you know, there is this deep distrust of institutions now. Mm-hmm. And of course, being both me and my pastors, we, we, we both know that on the church part of it. But of course it's much deeper than that. It's government itself, government institutions and, and all that. And I, and that's dangerous, you know, it's, it's dangerous stuff because what concerns me is, you know, if there is down the road something, you know, I read books like Andromeda Strain and The Hot Zone and all those all those books about 
fictional pandemics um, growing up. And if there is something that comes along that's much more deadly than what this has been, it's been deadly enough, but could be much worse. Um, if something does come along that's significantly worse, are we going to have the cultural tools to even deal with it? Because this is no, this is pretty concerning. No, it, it will be even worse. I mean, every man for himself. It, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's very strange. It's, it's very strange. And, I, you know, I know lots of people in medicine and they've seen it happen, right? They've seen it where they watch someone die from COVID and their loved ones still will not get a vaccine or wear a mask or whatever. I don't know. It's uh, it's strange stuff. Hopefully, you know, coming at this from a perspective as a follower of Jesus, what I think the church could and should be doing is is modeling how we love one another in the midst of this, how we handle disagreement and differences over this, um, and and love for our neighbors uh, despite all that. Um, but that that also includes like, you know we don't just function as the church. We're a part of the community. And that means I think also setting an example in the community, mm-hmm. you know? Um, how is the church or how can the church be there for medical professionals? Um we talked a lot about, you know, we talked a lot about medical professionals early on. Um, but, you know, this has now been two years in and, you know, you have a lot of doctors, you have a lot of, of nurses that have been putting in lots of hours um, with hospitals that are hospitals that are filled to the brim. How can the church be there for these people? In some ways, it's analogous, I think, to positive ways I've seen churches um, appreciate and support educators um, or veterans in some cases, right? Acknowledging that service, acknowledging the unique stressors of that role and things like that. (laughs) I did find out um, there's a a church that uh, a local church that I deeply dislike provided lunch to my wife's office recently. And I was like both like angry and jealous, you know, like, I'm really upset. Like, it's great that they did this. I'm so upset it's this church and not my church because um, we, you know, uh, if you listen to the Marcel podcast, it's a church that's very much on that model of charismatic leader and no accountability, but I won't name it because it's nationally known. Um, but, you know, it was, hey, here's a free lunch because you had a rough time. Um, I know early on, Brittany's whole thing was like, don't tell me I'm, a hero, just mm. wear a freaking mask. <laughs> like, please just act, you know, don't act dumb. Um, don't act, you know, like this isn't a thing. There's, you know, there's, I think there's a place just for naming, naming that experience. If you have, you know, people that are in medicine that are, you know, nurses that are physical therapists, whatever it is, people that are having to walk into this every day, I think give someone the chance to tell their story. You know, mm-hmm. give someone a chance to have a, a testimony, mm-hmm. um, lift them up in prayer. Um, you know, we hear you, we care about you, um, you matter, 
um, acknowledge what they're doing as a ministry. I don't think we do enough of that, mm. um, of naming that, you know, any, the way I often talk about it is any job where you're serving other people, which can be just about any job really is ministry, right? If you're doing it for God, doing it in a way that edifies people and improves their lives, it's a ministry. And, and naming that these folks that are in the medical field are doing a ministry in a very hard time and doing a very difficult ministry, um, I think validates that uh, as well. You know, I, I, my wife's calling is every bit um, as valid and as from God as, as mine is, right? It's not just ministers that are in ministry. My, my wife is in ministry. Nurses are in ministry. You know, all those, you know, all those folks are, are in ministry. So um, treat them, you know, treat them as such in the same way that um, we do with educators and others. That there's a calling there that the church should unhesitatingly validate and be grateful for and, and thank God for. Hmm. Last question is how do you think churches going into year two can um, kind of be positive witnesses in their community? Um, you know, it was in some ways, well, it's just been a very weird time to be a church. Um, two years ago, all of a sudden we couldn't be in person. We had to do everything online. Um, which I don't know about you, but it was really hard to try to do things like mission. Um, <laughs> yeah. It was almost yeah. virtually impossible. Um, now, most churches are in person again, um, though, of course, with, with precautions. How do we try to be a, an effective witness to people in this time as we're dealing, still dealing with this pandemic? Um, and maybe even to be a witness to people who right now haven't been listening. Yeah. I know one thing I've tried really hard to do is validate for my folks the complexity of this time and the choices they've had to make. You know, I've had a few interactions where I, I ran into someone um, I haven't seen in a while from church. You know, I ran into him at the grocery store and I'm like, oh, we, you know, we, we, we missed the church. We want to come back. Our, our kids can't be vaccinated. And, you know, I, I try to validate that and say, look, I, these are hard choices and very personal mm -hmm. choices. And, you know, um, you're still loved. You're still welcome. Like, don't, um, don't feel bad about that. Or when we came, when we went back to having some in-person stuff and people hadn't been around in a while, um, saying like, look, I, I know it's it, it maybe feels weird to just pop up at a potluck or an outdoor picnic in the in the summer or whatever, but please know that you're still welcome and, and all that. Embodying that sort of like that grace um, and and being able to say to people, we know that this has been a difficult time for you. Um, I'm sure my church, me as a leader, there's things we didn't get right in this time that we could have done better being upfront about that, you know, gosh, I know that's, that's true for me. Um, having the grace to say, like, we've not been the perfect church during this. We've done the best we could. Here's where we're trying to move forward. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think trying as much as possible to say, we respect that everyone 
is not going to agree with whatever the step is. <laughs> what we're doing now, what we're about to do, um, you're still loved and your perspective is still valid and you're still welcome here. Um, and we regret that we can't make everyone, you know, do what everyone thinks we should. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're doing the best we can to, to follow Jesus and to, and to um, make this the best church we can for, for everyone. I think avoiding simplistic moralizing on both sides is a good thing. Um, acknowledging the, those complexities, I think, is, is helpful, treating people like adults. Um, and I think it's going to be, you know, doing what we can when we can. Like right now, things are really bad where, where I am. There's not a lot that we, we can do. There's still things that we can do and we can celebrate. You know, we, we had a big offering at Christmas that supports the work of, uh, of Zoe. Um, Zoe does really amazing work empowering orphans and vulnerable children around the world. And so even in this pandemic, when there's not a lot we can do with our own two hands, we've supported this community of uh, over 130 children who are being given skills and education to raise themselves out of poverty in a small village in Kenya um, that I've you know, never heard of before this. Um, so that's something that we we have been able to do um, even if it's not something we've done with our own, own two hands, and to celebrate that and say, look, God's work is still being done, ministry is still happening, you're still a part of it. Um, you know, even if the world is not back to normal yet, there's still a part that you can play in God's redemptive story. Okay. Well, Drew, thank you. Um, and I wanna also just lift up um, a prayer of thanks and continue prayers. Um, for your wife as she continues to do the good work um, and tiring work and pray that this will end soon. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for all those, you know, we've got a ton of people in my church that are physical therapists and nurses. And I think, you know, all those folks um, need those prayers. Anyone that's going into those rooms with their PPE on and mm-hmm. um, yeah, they deserve our, our prayers for sure. So Thank you for this time to talk. And um, again, like as it's very clear from this, I'm still processing all this stuff. It's been nice just to have a conversation about it yeah. um, from a theological perspective. All right. Well, we will definitely talk again soon. So all right, thanks, Dennis. All right. thank Drew for coming back on the podcast um, to talk about this very timely issue. I always have a good time chatting with him and I'm looking forward to having him back and chatting with him again. Um, I also, before I um, forget, is to remind you to um, check out his own, um, Drew's podcast. He has a podcast that he does with his friends, um, pastor friends, Evan and Will called God and Whiskey Podcasts. And, um, Basically, the podcast describes itself. It is a time of kind of talking about theology, and they also talk about their favorite whiskeys. So um, 
I have put the link in the description. I hope that you will consider listening. It is a great listen, even if you don't drink whiskey. So I wanted to share this concluding thought. Um, Last September, uh, my husband, Daniel, and I were, we traveled uh, to Washington, D.C. We were going down to the wedding of one of my, uh, of a cousin of mine. And I lived in D.C. actually in the early 90s. So this was the first time back. It was good to be back. Um, We walked around the National Mall and it was just fascinating to see how much things had changed since I left in 1996. Um, One of the things that we saw um, was temporary. It was a temporary installation on the mall. But I think it will probably leave a mark. Um, As we were walking and getting closer and closer to the Washington Monument, we could start to see this um, basically sea of little white flags that basically almost, if not totally, encircled uh, the monument. And what we learned was that these flags represented, which was at that point, 700,000 Americans who had died because of COVID. Now, that number can be viewed in the abstract and not given much thought. 700,000 is just a number. But with all those flags fluttering in the late summer breeze, you really couldn't ignore the sheer magnitude of the pandemic. All of us want to say that we're done with COVID. After all, most of us might be vaccinated or Maybe we're not. But after two years, isn't it time to move on? And to be honest, there are some people that sometimes it feels like they're stuck in wanting to live the way we did in um, March and April of 2020. Um, And of course, we can't live that way forever. That's not a good way to live. But the thing is, is that we also can't go back to February of 2020. Because COVID really isn't done with us yet. The hospitals are still full. And the medical staff that fill those hospitals, that staff those hospitals, remain incredibly busy. And while the most recent variant, Omicron, is mild for those who are vaccinated, it can still, it still caused millions to become sick. And I'm hoping that we don't have any more variants. But the fact is, we don't know what's coming down the pike. Now, the advent of the vaccines has made life a whole lot better than what it was in 2020. And I tend to think that we are at the beginning of the end of the pandemic. But that's the beginning of the end. That is not the end. No matter how much we might want to be done with COVID, it won't be done until COVID is totally weakened and endemic, and we're not at that point yet. The best that we can do right now is to try to be cautious within reason and to practice patience, to practice a lot of patience. We aren't done with COVID, and COVID is still not done with us. So uh, just a few housekeeping notes. Uh, Don't forget to make sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. The links are in the show notes. Uh, You can um, check out the website at enroutepodcast.org where we are trying to place some additional material about each podcast episode. 
um, trying to squeeze time in my busy week to get that done. But um, hopefully just check it out and see what you'll find. Um, if you ever have a question or comment, and I do love to have those questions and comments, uh, drop me an email. And you can send it to reverendpodcast at gmail.com. And like I said, I really do want to hear your questions and comments, so send those emails. Also, consider leaving a rating or a review on a podcast on your favorite podcast app. Um, podcasts, like everything online these days, run on algorithms. And the more positive reviews um, makes it a whole lot easier for others to find this podcast. And we really do need the, a podcast like this that can... Um, look at mainline Protestantism from a view that very few people look at um, that is also that's appreciative of the tradition but also looks at it with a critical and curious eye and I need your help to help spread the message of this podcast and I've made it easier for folks you can click a link in the show notes that leads directly to the podcast app of your choice that allows for ratings and reviews. So go to the uh, link ratethispodcast.com backslash church and main to leave your rating or review. And I want to give a quick shout out of thanks, uh, shout out of thanks to the anonymous soul who made a one-time donation. Thank you so much. That really means a lot. Um, If you would like to make a donation, you can use the link in the subscription Those donations help um, cover some of the costs associated with this podcast. It helps us to, helps me to continue to produce good content. And it is greatly, greatly appreciated, whatever amount you give. So that is it for this episode of En Route, a journey on faith and modern life. I'm Dennis Sanders, your host. Take care, Godspeed, and we will see you soon.